we stayed in a hotel one night and he started to speak again. It was just a phenomenal experience. So he was, I, I'd say, you know, what does that say? And he'd say, fire extinguisher. What does that say? Exit. And so we were running around this hotel frantic looking for new words and he was just one after the other. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we talk to athletes, adventurers, and business owners from around the world of adventure sports. Whether you're climbing Mount Everest, starting a bike shop, or getting up off your couch to take your kids hiking for the first time, we want you to have the motivation and inspiration you need to chase that next adventure. The Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by Camp Crate, the leaders in fully planned self-guided backpacking adventures, as well as backpacking gear rental. You can check them out at campcrate.net. Today's show is brought to us by Athletic Brewing, the makers of non-alcoholic craft beer to help you stay fit, stay trained. It's considered the best beer for endurance athletes. Check them out, athleticbrewing.com, as well as CS Instant Coffee. If you're going in the backcountry this year and you want great coffee to take with you on some camping trip next to a lake early in the morning, I highly recommend CS Instant Coffee. 100% Arabica coffee and has compostable packaging, so you don't have to contribute to the world's waste. Discount for both of those in the show notes. I really enjoyed this conversation with Travis about... Uh, he and his wife taking their autistic son on a cross-country, cross-America bike trip, a really long trip, and uh, you'll hear that their son's pretty severely autistic, and it, and it, and it took some serious uh, innovation and bravery and courage on their end to say, hey, we're going to ride a bicycle across America. Uh, they're Australian, so it's a totally different continent halfway around the world. And, you know, I, I know a lot of us out there might be facing a challenge that we think is going to keep us from doing the adventure sport we love or pursuing some sort of adventure in general. Um, so this hits uh, very close to home for me, and I think it will be beneficial for a lot of you as well, hearing from Travis and his just resilient, positive attitude about the whole thing. Uh, amazing. Also, I want to say um, on episode 441, literally 100 episodes ago, we had a guy named Austin Howell. He was a free soloist climber. Uh, he he uh, unfortunately uh, passed away last week. He, he fell while climbing in North Carolina. And so I uh, just wanted to pay our respects and uh, I hope that you rest in peace, Austin. But Austin was a great person. He has a, he started a podcast himself about free soloing. And he and I talked a lot about that process, gave him some pointers. Uh, so this is obviously, you know, you never see something like this coming. But uh, for those of you, you know, if you're into a sport that is considered relatively dangerous, even if you're not, you know, anything can happen, which is very sad, very unfortunate. And again, buddy, I hope you rest in peace. We, uh, we have a great episode coming at you today. We have a, really a, a serial adventurer um, who's been all over the world, Pakistan, India, Malaysia, Singapore, Canada, and, and so many other places, as well as uh, an, an educator. He's been teaching for over 20 years and has an, an awesome family that he does adventures with. We're going to get into his story and, and one of the, the trips he's done in the last few years that was just 
amazing, in my opinion. And that's Travis Saunders. Is it Saunders or Sanders? Yeah, it's Saunders. Saunders. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, thank. welcome to the show, man. Oh, cheers, mate. Cheers. And, yeah. and what an introduction. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I hope I've done all that. <laughs> hope I didn't get anything wrong. But I, I'm going to guess from the accent you're coming at us uh, from somewhere in Australia today. Yeah, that's correct. From uh, Adelaide in Australia. And it's the uh, middle of winter here. Oh, man. So what's a winter like in Adelaide? Uh, that's the funny story. It's it's absolutely beautiful. Oh, I guess Adelaide's one of those, those <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those amazing places. It's quite dry. And about eight months of the year, almost nine months of the year, we have blue skies. That's that's pretty uh, enviable. Dang, we're, we're in Colorado. <laughs> it's pretty nice here, I'm not going to lie. Winter's... Can be cold, but not not terrible, not terrible. But yeah, man. So so you know you've done some some incredible adventures, but you've been a teacher for a long time, correct? Yeah, that's right. You know, like over twenty years ago, I studied a bachelor of education, majoring in environmental science, and so. But that love of environmental science grew from those very early experiences of my dad dropping. Uh, a good friend of mine and myself, uh, about 100 kilometres out of the city of Melbourne where we grew up, um, and we'd take the fishing rods in a backpack and we'd head out for either a day or a couple of days and we'd walk up and down these little creeks trout fishing and we'd camp the night. And I was you know, fortunate enough to see some magnificent Australian wildlife in, the, in those journeys, koalas, kangaroos and the you know, the elusive platypus, which is an animal that lives, you know, in some of these remote uh, streams in Australia. And uh, I, I had this passionate geography teacher at, at the time. And uh, that love and, uh, you know, that exploration and that, that passionate geography teacher built me up to what I am today to have a, a really good understanding of what it means to look after the environment but also connect with the environment and connect with the people that, that uh, you know, really appreciate the great outdoors. And So I um, am certainly somebody that uh, has a bucket list of, of adventures and uh, not enough time and uh, not enough of my life to be able to achieve them all. It's frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sure a lot of the people you talk to are exactly the same. <laughs> it, it's, how do you fund these adventures? Yeah, how do you fund them? How do you have the time? I mean, it's it's the more you read, the more you research. All it does is make you more frustrated on all, the, and and it's the different ways you can experience it. You know, you can hike it, you can bike it, you can fly over it if you have the capability. I mean, there's just so many ways to experience the same places. It, it it's overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. Look at it is, and of course, these days we're um, we're inundated with uh, Instagram and Facebook oh, um, yeah. kind of photos and stories of all these amazing people doing these incredible adventures, and you just say, "I want to do that. I want to be there. I want to explore what they are." And and then sometimes you just got to kind of kick back and go, "All right, here's a reality check. Uh, they're going through some pretty tough times out on those out on those trails or that or that adventure." I'm enjoying my life at the moment. I'm going to kind of explore uh, what it means to live the moment and then I'm going to research my own adventure and make it my own unique experience to then go out there and give it a crack and, and not live it as much through social media. Yeah, that, that, that social media can really... It can ruin your day, your life, really, if you let it uh, just get envy, 
get a, get a hold of you. But uh, man, it sounds like those early experiences with your dad is kind of what kind of what built this foundation of, of adventure. And you know, when you think about it, then you know th- those aren't the grandest experiences in the sense of like climbing a big mountain. It's it's just being out there with your dad doing th- fishing and just being there. That was important. Yeah, and I, and I think it's those kind of like those formative years um, that builds up to who I am now. In the, you know those summative years, and so it's it was such an important time in my life to build up those little skills and those splinter skills about how to be able to cope in certain situations and and to get myself out of situations. And and so I really I, obviously I thank my dad for that, but I also thank other people that I met early on. You know, like that geography teacher, like that really good mate of mine that I walked up and down those creeks with. And, and you know, I'm a firm believer that we're all lifelong learners and we can learn something off everyone we meet and every interaction that we have and, and build upon those skills uh, to have a crack at some of those big adventures that are kind of scary for so many people but don't need to be. So, so what, what was the process like for you starting out with those smaller foundational experiences into what you do now um these big big ex, uh, not even ex, expeditions i guess but just month-long multiple month-long adventures yeah look i think it was a it was a, a case of a little bit of uh, a luck or bad luck at, at this stage we were going through a bit of a <laughs> we're going through a bit of a revolution in an Australian education system, and we had a we had a uh, where I was growing up. They made ten thousand teachers kind of redundant, and they were folding all these schools and creating from the these small schools. They were creating these super schools, and it meant that as I was coming out of university, uh, there were no jobs. And so I opened up the newspaper one day. Yeah, we had newspapers back then, <laughs> and uh, there was <laughs> yeah. a. And there was a, a job going in a in a, um, in a Maori Polynesian school in New Zealand, and it was that moment in my life that really opened up uh, adventure like I'd never experienced it before. And before you knew it, over the course of several months of of uh, being over there, I'd trekked all of the great walks of New Zealand, kind of back to back, and uh, that opened up a life of adventure. But, and also an importance of actually doing these adventures with other people. And that was so important to me that I had the experiences that I could share share with other people. And I've done so many adventures around the world solo, and they're, they're exciting. They're, they're, you know, that, that's, that's great. But the ones I like to talk about these days are the ones that I've shared with people. And, you know, and that includes things like, you know, walking you know, across England – and where I loved it so much that I did it again the next year with a different friend and and cycling through, you know, the uh, volcanic regions of uh, Indonesia with, with another good mate. And, you know, it, there's so many different kind of, of those smaller, you know, two-week, one-month-long adventures uh, that kind of gave me those skills that I needed and the confidence and the experience to go, hey, you know what? I can tackle anything. And if we break it down, if you can do a two-day adventure, you can do a two-month adventure, you could do a year-long adventure. Um, you just have to be able to plan ahead and plan for those things that, that may go, you know, possibly or terribly wrong. And so um, adventure is my life. It's it's what I do between, between working and, and looking after my uh, severely autistic son. 
Well, first of all, what a what a place to build a love for adventure, New Zealand. Jeez, that sets you up for some uh, some epic stuff going on there. And so, after experiencing that, and you come back home, did you eventually find a job teaching and, and start doing that? Ah, uh, yeah. And I guess that's what I've done uh, for years. Is that I've gone in and I've gone. All right, I, I really, you know, want to go to the, this particular part of the world. Um, what's the best job to do that in? That's the, a teacher's position. We have a, uh, a six-week break over our summer holidays, and so I was able to do some of those adventures over that six-week break. But I also worked for uh, almost 10 years in the Northern Territory, you know, crocodile country, and we had uh, a four-week break in, in the middle of the year. So that enabled me to kind of bunny hop straight across to um, – Southeast Asia for lots of mini adventures, cycling and 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 trekking. And so these days uh, are very different. I am no longer a teacher. I'm an educational consultant, which gives me a lot more flexibility in terms of uh, looking after my my son and and ex- exploring with my son on lots of little mini adventures, but also some big adventures. And so uh, work life's very much changed. Um, and that was changed when he, he was diagnosed on the autism spectrum uh, around about 20 months of age. And how old is your son now? He's uh, he's almost 10. Wow. Yeah, he's he is just the most super dude. He's he's autistic. He is an incredible singer. He's beautiful. He's talented. He's intelligent. He's such an adorable boy that kind of changes the, the people's worlds when they meet him. And uh, Fiona and myself, Fiona's Patrick's, uh, Patch's mum, we call him, uh, we call Patrick Patch. Uh, we're just so lucky to be his mum and dad. And we just tell him this every day. And, uh, you know, Patch is, uh, you know, he has some, um, very, very complex behaviors. He is, uh, has difficulty with communication. He's, uh, you know, there are severe deficits in, with in terms of communication. We have to explore the different ways that we communicate with him. He has uh, many varied and complex uh, social skill difficulties. He's he's never played uh, with a toy um, uh, like I did growing up, and he has many varied repetitive and restricted behavioural patterns. And so... As a dad that was uh, somebody who loved the great outdoors and loved adventure, I was always immersing him, him in these different experiences. And we learnt early on that um, his life was going to be diff- very different to his peers uh, growing up. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can explore some of those things today as to uh, what led us to go on an amazing adventure with him. I mean, it, you know, it sounds like it's incredible um, right now. You obviously seem like a great dad. But I was curious to know, you know, when you first got the news or first started realizing, you know, his, your son was going, is autistic, what were some of the emotions going through you uh, and your partner and, and just kind of what were you thinking? Was it nerve-wracking or were, did you just kind of say, this is going to be a new challenge? This is going to be fun? Uh, I don't know. What was it? What was uh, Oh, it was a an experience that uh, I, I I don't want to relive it, but I have to relive it. I have to talk to people about how it felt. Um, if I kind of you know, I take a step back, it was like 
if it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago, there was a certain way that society talked about people with disabilities and there was a certain narrative and it was a certain, almost a, it was almost a, woe is me, I feel sorry for you, mum and dad. And it was very ableist in its discussion about the way that we talked about um, people on, on the autism spectrum, people with disabilities. Right. These days, these days, thankfully in Australia, um, that has changed, particularly in the last four or five years. The way that we talk about disability, the represent, representation of people uh, with disability in the workforce, um, in the media is growing. We're starting, we're starting a revolution here in terms of the way that we have inclusion within our schools. And so this is this is kind of a, an exciting time to, uh, to 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 be in. But if I take a step back and I go back kind of like seven and a half, uh, eight years ago when Patch was diagnosed on the sure. autism spectrum, we were still living in this bubble, this social bubble of uh, this knowledge base that our parents had kind of embedded in our minds and that the, the, the experiences that I had with other children at schools that had disabilities. And so it was a negative one. And so the initial, in, in, you know, those thought processes that go through your mind as a parent is... Oh, this is this is this is horrible. This is this is devastating. Uh, what does this mean for my son's future? What does this mean for our, our family? How how is this going to affect us financially, et cetera, et cetera? And, and whilst there's many of those things that we we still go through and we still experience, um, I want to live in a society that, that that when somebody gets diagnosed with a disability, everyone goes, okay, cool, all right, this is where we're at, okay. Uh, I've heard some really amazing things about the things that people with disabilities are achieving. Um, we're going to focus on what's possible and what motivates our, our child, and we're going to create these positive associations in our in our child's life. And we are going to be the most positive parents in the world. But of course, Patch gets diagnosed. I've got all of these kind of this knowledge which has been embedded in me from generations before of this sometimes could be perceived as a negative thing. And so I felt really shit. Yana did too. We, um, we sat in the car and we bawled our eyes out. We went home. We were staying at our – or my in-laws at that stage because we'd moved from the Northern Territory down to South Australia. And we kind of cuddled in bed in a, in a fetal position and we bawled our eyes out, literally for days. And Jeez. it was the most – it was the most horrible, horrible experience. We knew our son was different. We knew his life would be different. Uh, we didn't know what it would be like, but we also knew that we were very, very much lost individuals. We were, felt so alone. And I remember uh, getting up out of this fetal position and saying to Fiona, I have to get out of the house. I have to go for a jog. And, you know, I wouldn't say that I was fit. I wouldn't say that I was unfit you know, terribly unfit, but I'd put on a few pounds. Uh, we, uh, you know, we'd move states, so there was this whole transition period of in terms of not exercising. And so I went to go for a jog. I put the runners on, the shorts on, you know, the T-shirt, kicked out of the house and literally got a few hundred metres down the road, sat in the gutter, bawled my eyes out again and threw up. Oh. Yeah, it was that moment in my life that I realised that, you know, hey, shit's got to change here. I've got to be 
that you know that pivotal you know that center hardcore point that really looks after myself because if i'm not looking after myself i'm not looking after my family and ultimately my son and creating opportunities for my son and so it was a moment that that uh, changed my life and then i started to to run you know, five k's turned into ten k's, turned into twenty k's, turned into me doing these kind of midnight runs overnight, um, and turned into running ultra marathons. To eventually uh, running twelve marathons in twelve months to raise over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for autism organisations in Australia. And wow. if I felt that I needed to be uh, proactive in terms of uh, you know this reactive thing that I was experiencing through social media in terms of I wanted to talk about the positive aspects of my son's life I wanted to talk about the positive aspects of those um, other parents that I that I met and the organizations that were you know kicking butt on doing amazing things in terms of the way that the they spoke about autism and the way that they used language, which, which was reflective of what the community of autistic people were actually wanting. And so, um, yes, yeah, so, <laughs> so that's it. And, you know, like, you know, I kicked out and I ran a few, you know, big ultra marathons and a few, you know, it was a hundred miler in there for a 24 hour event. And, and we got a lot of community support and a lot of people on board and, and, you know, for, for, for short moments in time, we're able to change people's lives by talking about these positives and not giving people hope, but almost giving people almost like a, you know, a roadmap of, hey, this is a better direction to go down rather than constantly talking about the negative aspects of what bringing up a child that has autism can often bring with it. Not, not saying that we don't talk about those aspects, but think about the way that we do communicate that so that it actually looks after that particular individual that has the diagnosis itself. Athletic Brewing is pioneering non-alcoholic craft beer. Yeah, I said non-alcoholic craft beer. And there's a number of reasons you might want to do that, whether you're training for an event, which a lot of our listeners are, or, you know, if, you, if you're babysitting and don't want to be drunk in case something happens. I mean, stuff happens, but you still want to sit down and enjoy the game and have a beer. This is an incredible option for a full-flavored, full-bodied beer. Each can is only 50 to 70 calories. With IPA, golden ale, stouts, and tons of seasonal offerings, Athletic Brewing is a great option if you want that craft brewery taste. Uh, but not deal with the effects of alcohol itself. Uh, if you'd like to save 15% on your first order, go to athleticbrewing.com and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout. Yeah, it's it sounds like you've put a lot of thought into the, the way... Uh, you guys want to approach this and how you, how you have approached it and it, it you've kind of alluded to it but what are some of the common misconceptions of, of autism when it comes to you know caring for someone with autism that you've found I know you know keeping a positive attitude has probably been crucial um, for all this and it's, it hasn't been easy I'm sure Um but, you know, there, a lot of people probably do feel that, you know, their adventure days are over if they have an issue like this pop up. Oh, look, you know, um, I guess I can't talk for any other individual that's, that, that 
is on the autism spectrum or any other family's um, uh, circumstances uh, involving their own child and what what they can go and experience. But I've met I've met a lot of uh, parents now uh, that you know like you know you get connected with like people, don't you, in in life often. And so I've been connected yeah. with other autism uh, uh, parents that have children with that are on the autism spectrum that had gone out and done some kind of you know awesome ad- adventures, including mo- motorbike trips in Africa um, and going across to South America to do small treks and things like that. But the one thing that we all have in common, and and this is about always presume competence. Uh, we have a child that is minimally verbal to non-verbal in terms of the way that he's able to he- express himself. Now, I've been lucky enough to have uh, um, made a podcast about autism and I've spoken to uh, non-verbal autistics all around the world that now type uh, to communicate. And they all say the same thing. Always presume competence. Never give up on us. Always make sure that you, you, you can help us to learn the method of communication that works for us. Being non-verbal doesn't mean you have nothing to say. Being non-verbal doesn't mean you don't understand those conversations that are going on around you. And so the biggest thing that I could say to anyone out there is that if somebody's not looking at you, it doesn't mean that they don't understand every single word you're saying. You don't have to make eye contact um, to understand what somebody else is saying. And we know that whether when we go for a bushwalk, don't we? We've got our, our good mate who's in front of us and we're often walking behind our good mate. We're not making eye contact to be able to have a conversation. We're not making eye contact to be able to uh, understand what that particular person is saying. And so that that's no different to somebody on the autism spectrum. And that's something I'd say to teachers too. And how many times have I said it myself and made a mistake in the classroom? And it doesn't have to be necessarily to somebody on the autism spectrum. It's to say, can you look at me when I'm talking to you? Uh, For some people, it's difficult to make that eye contact. For some people, it is so painful to make that eye contact. So why, as a society or as a a therapy organisation, are we trying to make people do something that is incredibly painful to them or doesn't meet their needs? And so that's the biggest misconception I can say, is that if we presume that somebody's competent and we provide them with those resources to be able to communicate – they can then tell us what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and then provide them with that choice and control over their life. And if we forget about every meme that's ever been created about autism and we forget about everything that we've ever been told and we actually can communicate with that individual or communicate with that individual's parents that that often know their child best, we can actually break down all those misconceptions and cliches and misunderstandings and actually focus on that individual as opposed to focusing on a diagnosis. And uh, we're going to kick a lot more goals if we, you know, tackle it that way. It sounds like that it's uh, taught you that not everything is what it seems. And I'm sure, I'm sure it's changed you tremendously, this experience over the last 10 years. Oh, yeah. Look, you know, like when we we go on these adventures, uh, we can we continue to learn. And if we if we just think about it on that basis, that if we're open for that knowledge, 
we can uh, then open up new corridors or new new doors or new roads to to new learning experience and ultimately growth as individuals. And so, yeah, I have learned so much and I've also realised how wrong I've been. And uh, I don't see that as a negative. I see that as a real positive. Uh, that's enabled me to go, I, okay, I got it really, really wrong in those early stages. Uh, I was concentrating on things ultimately that my son couldn't do. And whilst it's important to concentrate on those aspects, if we can concentrate, you know, more on those possibilities and what motivates your child and what their strengths and interests are, we can kind of, you know, cradle or encourage that growth. And and that's why um, we came up with this, you know, bizarre, all out there idea to cycle from one side of America to the other side with our autistic son. Yeah, I mean, you, you said adventure is your life, and you aren't kidding. Just because, you know, you have these new challenges and opportunities, you guys did something that so many people would be terrified to do. Where did this idea come from, and what, and what gave you the confidence to say, we're doing this? Oh, yeah, look, it's, 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 I guess these ideas just don't, they don't pop up. But this kind of, this, this, it kind of did pop up. But there was a lot of circumstances that that led to it. You know, school wasn't going great for Patch. Uh, he was really, really struggling. He was, he was, you know, visually distressed, and uh, he was he lost a lot of language. And and uh, as a result of that, Fiona and myself, we'd, uh, you know, we were struggling. Uh, our relationship was struggling. Our entire family unit was struggling, and. It was around the same time that there was a Victorian organisation over here that set up something called the ICANN Network. And it was set up by an autistic lawyer that kind of said that I want to create environments that are based on strengths and interests for kids. I want to work with schools. I want to concentrate on those positive, positive. I want full inclusion to be able to support kids and I want to mentor children. And I liked it. I really liked this idea of, you know, Focusing on what those strengths and interests are, you know, to embrace the autistic individual, and and so this particular day we were uh, we were on a lake, and I was sitting on the side of the lake, and and Patch was out in these little kind of I think they were like twelve foot skiff uh, sailing boats, and and Fiona was out there guiding Patch on how to control this little skiff, and and. Um, there was this another, another. Uh, I think he's about 24, 25 years old. Trent was his name. He came in and he said, Travis, Travis, uh, Dad says there's nothing I can't do. And I was sitting next to Dad. And I said, yeah, absolutely, Trent. You know, there's nothing you can't do. And if Dad says, Dad says that, uh, you know, one day I'll be able to, you know, go out by myself because Trent also had a carer next to him guiding him through this sailing process. And Dad says, you know what, Trent, you're almost there, mate. You're almost there. You're going to get there. And Trent went in and out half a dozen times. And every time he came back in, he, he kind of had this same conversation with me. And it really stuck. There's nothing you can't do. And so I had this whole concept of there's nothing you can't do in terms of what Trent had said. And then there was the ICANN network in Victoria, which started this kind of almost this little revolution in terms of looking at autism differently in terms of strengths and interest-based. And I thought, 
nothing I can't do, strength in the interest space. What is it that Patch is good at? So we went home that day and uh, we kind of spoke about it in detail. You know, Patch loves the outdoors. He loves camping. He loves movement. And he also loves and is passionate about leaves. You know, you can't, it can't be a day go by that you don't see Patch hasn't picked up a leaf. And he, and he, he stims on it. He's got this self-stimulatory behaviour where he kind of rubs it, flicks it, and listens to it, smells it, tastes the leaf. And these days I'll look at it as a real positive. It's the way that he is interacting with the world. And so uh, Fiona and I also had to break it down a little bit more. We had to look at our own life and what are what are the things that we're good at? What do we enjoy doing? And so we looked at one of the most amazing times of our life, and that was a time when we cycled from Singapore through Malaysia, through Thailand, through Laos, then flew to Canada, and then cycled from Canada all the way down to Mexico, um, you know, fully self-supported, carrying panniers, and it was the time of our life. So we thought, what if we can get a bicycle and we can just go on some day trips with Patch? So, of course, I tracked down this bicycle. It took quite a long time. It was It's a semi-recumbent tandem. And Patch sits in the front of it. I sit at the back and I cycle from from behind. And I I steer this bicycle. And so the whole idea was to get out in nature. He loved movement. He loved the breeze across his face. I could then teach him. I could teach him how to read using road signs. I could teach him um, about the bicycle componentry. Uh, I could have a running narrative going along describing things as they're occurring so we could cre- create these posi- positive associations. And, of course, it worked. He was he was loving it. He was loving coming home from school to get on this bike. He just wanted to jump on this bike straight away. And it was we were smashing it, man. It was awesome. And so I said to Fiona, what if we could go back to America and we could do a rail trail? You know, one of these kind of like 200, 300-mile rail trails in the States. She goes, yeah, let's do it. Let's 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 do this. And so, of course, I buy this big, you know, United States map. I put it on the wall in the little house we were staying in. Fiona goes to work. I was a stay-at-home dad doing the odd job here and there. And, of course, you know, my, my mind took over. And, you know, I started mapping out these rail trails. And I go, you know what, you know. This is great, but it costs a lot of money for an Aussie to get over to America with a few bikes. And, you know, what if we just kind of break it down day by day and see if we can't go from one side of America to the other? And so Fiona's at work. I mapped this out. I got the highlighter out. And uh, before you know it, I've got this route from one side of America to the other. And so she comes home from work and I said, Fee, (laughs) what do you reckon of this? And she kind of laughed at me. She knows what I'm like. She said, yeah, let's do it. Holy cow. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's awesome. It's out, there as, out there as it sounds. And, and so that's what we did. We uh, rode from one side of, side of America to the other over 79 days. And I, um, what was camping it, 5,500 kilometers? Yeah, uh, 50, 5,600 kilometers 5, 5, in total. Kilometers. So what was your route? What did that look like? Yeah, so I guess, you know, like um, we'd, we'd ridden from, uh, you, you know, from Canada to Mexico uh, back in 2007 and we, and we love the coast. 
And we thought about doing that trip again, but then we thought, ah, you know, life's about experiencing different things and, and having new associations. So for us, it, you know, it really, the route or the, the route of which we say in Australia wasn't the, the biggest um, kind of decision. For us, it was about, okay, we've got three-month visa. What's possible in three months? Uh, what can we do day in, day out? And so the, the bike itself was actually the most important thing in terms of that uh, that routine for our son. Now, a lot of people talk about children on the autism spectrum not being able to cope with change. For our son, it was the opposite. He loves change. He wants change. He wants to continue that continual immersion in new things to be able to, to learn. You know, imagine if you're nonverbal and you're sitting down at a table and somebody teaches you that's a square, that's a circle, that's the number one, that's the number five, and they do that continually and they treat you under your age group. Well, that was the experience that our son had had for, for many, many years in terms of um, uh, his, his education. People weren't presuming that he was competent. So we had to run off that basis that he was competent. And so over 79 days, we travelled between 40 to 60 miles a day. And we started out at, uh, and I believe it's Anna Cortez in uh, Washington State. Is that the right pronunciation? You know, I, I actually don't know. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Let me look yeah. it up. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, um, we kicked over the... North Cas- Northern Cascades, mm-hmm. then the Rocky Mountains, then through the um, uh, the plains, you know, through, you know, North Dakota, and then we kind of, you know, met up with lots of rail trails as we got further east across the states and and then, you know, around the Great Lakes, kicked into Canada and then uh, kicked on to the, um, the CNO um trail and then all the way through to Washington DC and we finished at the Australian Embassy with a kind of a huge Aussie crowd to to greet us there at the at the finish. But but wow, of course I, I didn't know, you know that. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was it was awesome. It was a you know very kind of a home crowd parochial type of experience and and we had a few friends that were actually working in Washington DC that came out and saw us and, and that was really nice. But that but the the cool things that occurred were often when things went wrong. You know, it's it's day three for us, and we're in Australia, and it's it's a pretty flat country. And so, to train to do a you know a journey as epic as this with our son, uh, we had to kind of go to these little kind of mountainous regions of Australia to to get a few. You know, uh, um, you know, leg repetitions work for that workout for day three when we cross Washington Pass. And of course, you know, Washington Pass is you know no small hill. It's you know five thousand four hundred and seventy-seven feet or whatever it is on day three, but it killed us. Uh, you know, I've got this massive bike with my son's weight on the front of it. We've got uh, four panniers hanging off it and the tent as well, it's a lot of weight, you know, it's a few hundred pounds of weight, and I had to get off the bike, and I had to push the bike, and uh, so Fiona and I pushed our bikes um, over six mountain passes in the Rocky Mountains, Northern Cascades. Um, How did your son do with that? He did, well, he was amazing. He got off the bike 
lots. We held hands. We pushed, taught him how to push the bike. Um, we sat on the side of the road and we, we watched the you know these little streams and we spoke about the streams and experienced cold. We could talk about what it meant to be cold, um, and we we're able to teach him in situ in that particular moment in time. And we spoke about road signs and and um, we. We found number plates. We collected number plates the whole way across America, and we got him talking about the, the numbers. And eventually, when we got to the about halfway across America, we stayed in a hotel one night, and he started to speak again. And uh, yeah, it was just a phenomenal experience. So he's, I'd say, you know, what does that say? And he'd say, fire extinguisher. And what does that say? exit and so we were running running around this hotel frantic looking for new words and he was just one after the other and these days he doesn't he doesn't talk a lot he doesn't ex- express himself verbally but it's those moments in time that kind of you know reinforce that presumption of competence to go hey he understands absolutely everything we are saying to him so those conversations that we have in front of him are always positive always you know inclusive of of him and his needs and 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 to make sure that he's understanding what's going on but it was the it was the people of america that um was probably the the highlight i mean environmentally it was it was incredible it's the most incredible experience of my life the most one of the most amazing things that we've ever done particularly as a family but it was the people um, it was the North Dakota Autism Centre that took us in for four days um, off the side of the road and, and the, the founders of that organisation put us up in their house and fed us and, and looked after us and we shared stories and we had this connection. It was a guy by the name of uh, Gene Meek in Shelby, Montana that came across us on the side of the road and offered us a place to stay for the night threw us his car keys and he said, go tour around my little town, go as far as you want. Helped fix and he paid for a, um, a, a brake set that blew out when we were coming down off the Rocky Mountains. He then flew from one side of America to the other to be there at the end when we finished the journey because he knew the significance and what it meant to travel with a child but to travel with a child that had complex needs, it was just a, it was something that he just didn't want to miss out on and he wanted to show us that support. And we found out that he had a nephew that was um, severely autistic and he just thought it was a brilliant thing that we were doing, concentrating on our son's strengths and giving him those amazing positive associations in his life. This episode is also sponsored by CS Instant Coffee, 100% Arabica coffee with compostable packaging. You can find them at csinstant.coffee and use Adventure at checkout for 20% off. I did want to say when you first started talking about the plan for this adventure, um, it was beautiful the way you said it. It was, you, you basically aligned the things your son enjoyed and wanted to do and was capable of doing and the things you were capable of doing and the things you enjoyed and where those things all align that Venn diagram you created this idea for this adventure and I don't know I just feel that's just such a such a 
wonderfully uh, uh, opportunistic way to look at things because without that outlook, I don't think you would have ever, this would never have crossed your mind as even a possibility, much less to make it actually happen. I mean, what, what an adventure. I mean, beautiful, beautiful places you were, you were experiencing, but also in this beautiful way, man, that is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's a it's a it's a classic, isn't it? You know, I just Jeez. I remember a day. You know, like there's there's some negative things that occurred, but I, we kind of take the positive out of it. You know, it was a negative in terms of it was scary, it was risk taking. What the what the heck were we doing as mum and dad? Right. You know, we camped in we camped in Theodore Roosevelt National Park with you know herds of bison that stampeded past the tents. Oh <laughs> we my had to gosh. Get past the, had to get past these bison that were on the middle of the road and and kind of navigate our way around these 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 uh, beasts that were the size of pickup trucks. <laughs> you know, it was they're, it was they're funny. incredibly lucky. They're they're very intimidating. Oh, I really are. You really are. But I just love the way that you put it, and I've just created a new term, and I'm and uh, I want everyone to use this now. But I've I've just written down this down this family Venn diagram. What a great way of looking at life seeing how we can meet the needs of everyone in that family unit. So that's it. That's a new term, All family right. Venn diagram. You, you, <laughs> yeah, I won't charge you for it. You can have it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it really is because, you, you you know, gosh, it's so easy to look at all those things that don't overlap. Oh, we can't do this. We can't do this. We can't do this. But the thing you can do is still, it, it meets, obviously, it meets the need of adventure. It also meets all the needs of your son and it just seems, I don't know. This is just mind blowing to me that you guys were took 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 this on and did this. Uh, could you tell me? Because you you've done you've done experiences on your own and cycling, and you say you and your wife did just an incredible uh, bike touring trip. What what were some of the unique challenges day to day with your son that was maybe different for someone who's just you know touring around the country by themselves or with a spouse or something? Oh, probably the, um, the, the sensory needs, um, but I, it enabled me to, to learn so much more about my son's sensory needs. The things that we kind of take for granted from day to day, we don't actually think about because we're not experiencing what they're experiencing in a particular moment of time when we're at home or when the the kids are out in the, in the yard. Um, but when you're on a bicycle, um, I had to think about how my son was was feeling every moment. So I knew when he was cold because I was cold. Um, and so I knew when he was hot because, you know, I was hot. You know, when those, those over 100 degrees Fahrenheit days, uh, oh, yeah. you know, it, it was hot. So he was going through those sensory needs. I knew when uh, he was experiencing hay fever when we got across that kind of middle part or northern middle part of america because of the fields that we were cycling you know past or through and so i was able to understand him more in a three-month period than i had his entire life and so it was challenging those those sensory needs it was challenging to to get top on top of that on that moment to moment day-to-day basis but was also an opportunity uh to learn about his needs and how we could best cater for those needs and, and explore that and discuss that and, and talk to him 
um, in a way that uh, he knew that uh, Dad knew that he was feeling pretty crappy. <laughs> so, wow. so um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh, sounds pretty corny when I talk about it, but like it's this beautiful symbiotic relationship that was formed between my son and myself, um, being being at one together on that bicycle. Yeah, I would love to post a picture of, of the bike and you guys on it because it, it is kind of yeah. you're right there in his in his ear almost like like hey look at that hey I know it's probably it's probably hard to get used to the the weight distribution but you were it seemed like you were able to just interact with him much more easily um, and in, in, in his view not being obstructed at all by anything in front of him. What an incredible! What an incredible uh, front seat experience for this whole journey. Oh, look! It was funny, eh? Because this bicycle, obviously, when I when I first started out training on it, uh, it was it was difficult. By day three, I was smashing it. By the end of the trip across the states, I mean, we did a thousand kilometers on these kind of rough old gravel um, trails too across the states. Um, wow! Uh, we were able to bunny hop rocks and curbs. <laughs> It was like it was like it was a mountain bike. <laughs> That's incredible. I didn't know that you guys are off road so I mean, you keep throwing yeah, yeah, you yeah. keep throwing details about the trip that just keep you know heightening the amount of of how impressed I am by this. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, and we he, we also purchased a a tag along bike um, that uh, connected onto the back of the the Husapino. and so it was almost like a road train, and so. Patch was on the, the tag along for about a thousand kilometres, and he'd kind of spin and and, and pedal along and and laugh and carry on. He'd take his hands off the handlebars and shake them in the air. <laughs> it was it wow. was kind of kind of a bit scary, but he was just having a ball. It was it was brilliant. So wow. So how was uh? Did you guys camp a lot? And how, how was that with with your son? Did he he? You said he enjoys that. Yeah, look, he he absolutely uh, loves camping. It's it's almost it's a, as if it's a bit of a safe place. Uh, he likes he also likes the texture of the tent and and uh, he likes kind of like like the different colours that come through on the different angles. I think it as as they, as the sun shines through the the tent as well. And so it was an opportunity to help him. Uh, to learn how to to put the tent up, and so there was a lot of kind of guiding along those lines, and and uh, you know the majority of the time we camped as we went across the United States, and it's it's strange now is that I don't remember a lot of those kind of positive experiences. I remember a couple of uh, negative experiences with camping where he was upset. And we're in these state parks, but these kind of jam-packed state parks with lots yeah. and lots of people in them, mm-hmm. and and patches patches upset. And Fiona and I, it's like you know, one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock, and we're just kind of counting down the minutes to get on that bike <laughs> because wow. we know that the whole the whole state park is awake, and we also want to get Patch out of that kind of situation. And so, but you can't do that in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, it's just, it was, you know, it wasn't possible. And so it's those experiences that, you know, while they're not, uh, they're great for storytelling, but then probably not great, you know, positive associations for, for Patch and our family. But, you know, there was, there was, there was times that were incredibly, incredibly hard. And, um, but, uh, you know, hey, that's, 
isn't that day-to-day life too? Um, it sure if, can be, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, were, we were having tough times at home, and so uh, we, we expected that there'd be tough times on the road. Were you guys surprised at all that you were able to complete this, or, or was that just you had made up your mind by the time you started? Yeah, it's 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 interesting, isn't it? You know, we we just kind of set out saying we're going to tackle this one kilometre, one mile at a time. Hmm. And once we'd got over Washington Pass, we were like, yeah, okay, that's our first significant peak. Um, and then, of course, you get over that first one, then you got an, you've got another one. You know, I think Loop Loop Pass it was and. And then, uh, and then there was another one after that, and then another one after that, and it's like get to about the fourth one. Fiona's going, "What are we doing? What were we thinking about?" This is <laughs> right. I'm not fit enough because, because when I was training with Pat, with Patch, she was <laughs> she was at work, <laughs> so she didn't have the opportunity to, to oh, put the miles in things. <laughs> and so, but once we got over the Rocky Mountains, we were like, "Right, we can do this," and. And, you know, but then we got kind of three quarters of the way across the States and we were tired. Um, and, uh, but it was the experiences and the people and the, that we met every day that, that uh, really, really kind of motiva- motivated us to keep going. And the fact that Patch was having such a great time and it, it just meant that, you know, hey, yeah, we're going to knock this on the head now. We're going to finish this last kind of 100, 100 200 kilometers and, and, um, and that's what happened. We, yeah, we finished, and it was a glorious experience. Wow! I mean, I just I can't imagine the feeling of uh, of accomplishment of how proud you guys must have been of your son and of yourselves. And yeah, I, you know, you've mentioned you you said people a few times. Maybe that's something you didn't expect. I don't know if if that was something in your mind. I know for a lot of people we talk to, that is a surprising aspect of their adventure that they um, look back on it with such fondness and such gratitude is the, is the incredible compassion that people show them during their trip. Oh, look, uh, it, it's, it's mind-blowing uh, the way that uh, people kind of came out of these little nooks and crannies to, to support us. Um, I've made some lifelong friendships out of adventure travel, and, and, uh, but I think... Uh, you know that guy Gene Meek that I spoke about, and, I, and you know I've spoken to the media all about the the world about this fella from you know Shelby, Montana. Um, he's probably the most amazing guy I've ever met. That uh, just just took a moment of his time to come and say good day and have a chat, and then lent a hand, um, and then travelled from one side of the states to the other to come and see us finish. Uh, those friendships and those relationships. Um, is what I'm searching for, for not only for myself, because I love to learn, I love to explore other people's lives, but for my son to help him to learn how to communicate and learn how to socialise, we've got to increase uh, the quality, the quality and the number of interactions that he has with people. And it seems to me that, you know, I've met too many um, uh, people in the world that are, are passionate about the outdoors and that are adventurous, that are kind of, you know, 
a nasty people. Um, there's kind of oh, good yeah. people out. We, we've talked yeah, to a few of them on this show. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. That's it. I mean, there's people who love the outdoors. They're connecting with nature. They're generally connecting with you know people too. And so that's why we think it's a great idea to kind of hit the road and uh, do these types of activities with Patch. If anyone out there is struggling to to, to find hope for humanity or or to to realize there are still good people out there put yourself in an adventure somewhere that 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 where you come through communities you will see the most incredible people like you said come out of the woodwork come out of the nook and crannies and it it'll change your life it'll change the way you view the world forever and uh just the most normal people are are, are capable of doing that when you're when you put yourself out there and that's that's beautiful i'm glad you brought that up um, man, what an adventure. What an adventure. And then you get all the way to Washington, D.C., have this grand, you know, uh, uh, finale, completion, finish line. Uh, and then what? You, you just went back home and, and got to just reminisce for a little bit and unwind? Yeah. So, um, well, kind of. Uh, uh, we had a, a Labrador, and I was down at the local dog park, and uh, I see this guy over there that's got dreadlocks, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to have a chat to you. You look like an interesting fella. And we got we got talking about adventure and about travel, and and then I talked to him about what we did in the states. And then he says that he's a filmmaker, and uh, he came across and and met Patch. We had a few coffees, and before you know it, he said, look, I want to make a documentary about. Uh, your family and about you, how you travel on bikes, and so we did a bit of a Kickstarter. It kind of it didn't kick. We didn't get enough money, but then we had people in the community go, "Hey, look, we want to kind of throw some money at this anyway." And so we raised enough just to do the filming aspect of it. We're trying to raise some more money to, or we're, we're hoping to get some investment to be able to to finish off the documentary. But we had a film crew follow us for a couple of weeks on what's called the Mawson Trail in South Australia. It's a 900-kilometre off-road mountain bike trail. It's full-on. It's it's hilly. It's gravel. Um, it's from the uh, top of the Flinders Ranges in South Australia all the way to Adelaide. And it explores some of the most beautiful country. And so we did this. And it was the toughest thing I have ever done in my life because it was so hardcore. After day one, I was broken. And, of course, it makes for great filming, doesn't it? <laughs> but probably doesn't make for <laughs> <Right>. great uh, <laughs> a great focus on what's possible and what motivates your child. Patch found it tough. We found it tough. We did it. Uh, we've got a lot of film filming left to do and so we're hoping that we can incorporate some of our, our next adventures possibly into that documentary as well but um but we've got some big things planned uh for 2020 and uh we're hoping to uh to get patch up the top of the highest peak in every state and territory in australia he loves bushwalking um and they're all relatively um, small in terms of the the height levels, um, but they're all very much achievable in terms of the distance to get up to some of these peaks. Some of them are only a, a, a kind of a two or three day trek to get to. Others you can get up and down them uh, in a day very easily. 
but it's the remoteness of these um, these mountains, which is probably the most difficult thing, um, and there's a lot of trouble involved. And so, 2020 for us, we are hoping to kick off an adventure in, to explore different parts of Australia, taking the the bikes with us to do lots of rail trails, but to help Patch become the youngest child in history to you know break a break a world record so to speak to become the youngest child to have um bagged each of these highest peaks in the in each state and territory of australia which would be epic <laughs> i think it's incredible and so you, are you trying to achieve all that uh next year like within the calendar year or is it going to be spaced out over a few years yeah yeah we're, we're hoping to do that to do that in uh 2020 um, and of course, some of these are in the mil- middle of the desert. They're very remote. Some of them are on indigenous lands, which we need to get permission to be able to do. And we want the permission from the elders to be able to you know, make sure that we show respect to be able to do that. Uh, Red Bull tried a few years ago um, and uh, they, could, uh, they could bag all of them except for one. Um, because I didn't have that permission, so there's a lot of kind of factors and logistics involved. I reckon I can, I can uh, get that one over over the line. And uh, Fiona and I have a, a great respect for Indigenous culture. We've worked in Indigenous areas of Australia. We also understand that uh, the importance of diversity and and inclusion. And we and we reckon um, a um, a greeting or a meeting between the elders and patch might be a way to go. Um, they do run tourism activities up one of these peaks. So I think uh, even if it comes down to it, we'll, we'll get a crew of Indigenous elders to be able to help us get Patch to the top. But uh, where there's a will, there's a way, isn't there? Uh, apparently, yeah. I mean, you, you, you know more about that than I do. <laughs> you've, you've proven it. Holy cow. Yeah, this just seems like another way that you guys have been able to kind of overlap what works for your son and what works for you and something you want to do. Um, it sounds awesome. It sounds awesome. So I was actually, one of me, one of my last questions was what's, what's your, what's in your future, but it sounds like you have an incredible adventure already in the works. Yeah. Look, um, yeah, look, there's so many components of, of, uh, uh, this particular adventure for next year that I, I want to come together um, originally, I had uh, had the plan that we wanted to somehow get hold of a an electric vehicle and travel from the top of uh, Alaska to the bottom of South America. Now we've had a, a change in the Australian dollar, uh, which makes it very difficult to be able to do an adventure like that. And of course, we wanted to do all these side trips with with trekking and mountain biking, and but it looks as if we might stick a little bit closer to home next year, and if I can incorporate an electric vehicle into uh, into that trip, it would make it even so much more special. Um, and but uh, time will tell. See if we can we can actually achieve that goal as well. Um, yeah. So it's uh, yeah. So many things. <laughs> so little time. So let's live the moment and you know and uh, make it adventure part of it. So. There you go. Wow. I'm a little speechless. You don't catch me speechless most of the time, but this is, uh, <laughs> I tell you what, you know, I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've heard from people who've told you they've, you've encouraged them, you know, that a diagnosis with a child or, or some sort of perceived limitation is, does not have to be perceived that way. 
Um, and the fact that you guys have taken these adventures on, um, I know for you probably with your mindset now is hard for us to see on the outside, but it, it, it feels like those things are now out of reach for a lot of people, I'm sure. And so when they see someone like you, it's just got to give that sense of adventure and that sense of this is possible back to them. And so, uh, yeah, thank you for doing that. Yeah. Look, uh, I guess, um, you know, it's, we've had some tough times over the years and we just try to live an amazing, happy life. Um, and try to kind of, you know, crack through some of those difficult times. I've got a saying there's, you know, there's no change without change. And if, you know, if things aren't working out, you're going to try something different. And so I guess one of the things in those very early days of diagnosis, uh, Fiona and I got a lot of things wrong. There are a lot of questions that uh, we wanted answered that, that we couldn't necessarily find out um, information about. And so uh, over the last 18 months, uh, almost 20 months now, we worked on a, um, a podcast for the Australian Broadcasting uh, Corporation, the ABC here. And uh, so we were commissioned to produce a podcast about autism and family life. And so we would love it if people in America were able to kind of, you know, share that podcast, get people listening to it, because it's it's a very intimate approach to podcasting where we explore certain facets of our family's life. And, and with our son's permission, we have been able to um, interview him and record his voice and use aspects or audio of his voice over nine years. So it's quite incredible, really. We're, our son's minimally verbal, nonverbal, and to ca- capture some of that, that language that he's used. But we then go out and we interview people all over the world, autistics, uh, parents, and professionals, about um, their everyday life. And so they then, then are able to offer some of those ideas and those and those supports that parents are looking for in those very early stages. And so we created a podcast that that we needed, you know, many, many years ago when Patch was first diagnosed to help other to help others. And so it's called um, The Parenting Spectrum, and you can obviously get it on iTunes or wherever you download your um, your podcast. So it's, that's a, The Parenting Spectrum. And over 50% of the people that we interview are autistic, and they absolutely smash all those misconceptions and they break it all down. And right throughout this podcast, we talk about achieving the seemingly impossible and focusing on what's possible and what motivates your child. And, and it's all about strengths and interests. And, and of course, if you love travel and adventure, if as a minimum, you only listen to one episode, listen to episode six, because it's about the joy of travel with your child is on the autism spectrum. And we interview a number of families that go off and do cracking, amazing things. I will absolutely link that. Um, in the show notes of this episode, uh, is there any other way that people can can get a hold of you or, or follow your journeys um, or keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, definitely. So uh, I have got a Facebook page. It's called School of the Road, School of the Road, and um, a little green logo there. It's got a little bicycle in the middle of it, a couple of trees on the outside, so you won't be able to miss it. And that's where I talk about our adventures in our day-to-day life and life growing up, um, you know, bringing up a, a child and, 
and um, try to be really, really positive and um, try to be a, a not necessarily a role model, but a uh, somebody that's um, that talks in a way that's it's a, a new narrative, a, a way that we should always have been talking about disability and focusing on those strengths and and those interests and and helping build a community. My goodness, Travis, thank you so much for, for coming on here and telling your journey and, and encouraging folks who might be facing something they, that is challenging. Um, and for those that that aren't, if they think they have an excuse as to why they can't do an adventure, you, you're, you're telling them right now, like, there's a way. There's a way you can do the things that, that, uh, that fulfill you. Um, you just yeah, got to be creative yeah, and look- think outside the box a little bit. And to create that meaningful participation is probably one of the most important things. Um, make it make it work for your child and make it work for for your family. Hey, and as you said, create that family Venn diagram. And you never know what your child and yourself are going to get out of that. And so um, it's been awesome talking to you. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, and and uh, and I'd lo- I want to check out the film when it comes out. Yeah, yeah, sweet, mate. That's 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 brilliant, mate. Um, I'll uh, I'll let you know. <laughs> All right. Well, Travis, have a great day. Have a good morning. And, you too. Uh, tell your family hello and thanks again for doing this. Yeah, good on you, mate. No All worries. Right. Take care. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Cheers. All right. Bye. Bye. Well, first of all, thank you so much for listening to this episode. It really means the world to us that you want to spend your time with us. If you'd like to help us further, please just leave us a review on iTunes, share us on social media, tell your friends about us. You can become a patron, a supporter of the show for $5 a month at patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. And if you know somebody that would make a good guest, reach out. We're always looking for good adventure and outdoor stories. And lastly, thank you to our sponsors whose messages follow right now. Athletic Brewing makes the best non-alcoholic craft beer. Go to their website at athleticbrewing.com and use the code in our show notes to save 15% on your first order. After all this adventure talk, if you're needing some gear yourself, but you need some advice before buying, go to backpacktribe.com where you can ask questions to the owners who have experience with all the gear as well as all of it for sale right there on their website. 